Well, good morning, Sunridge. How you guys doing? Well, if you are new or a guest today, my name is Bob Santi, and I'm one of the pastors at Sunridge Church. Now, if you've been with Sunridge for a long time and you're a regular tender, my name is Bob Santi, and I am one of the pastors at Sunridge Church. Now, the reason that's kind of funny is because I'm, I'm more of a behind-the-scenes kind of guy, right? I'm the executive pastor of operations, which means that I have the privilege of overseeing this facility and the front office and HR and IT and all the stuff that, you know, the ushers, security, all the things you don't think about. But one of the other things that I get to oversee is the finances at Sunridge Church, and it's been my joy to be able to do that. And a few months ago, Britt had said that we were going to do this series uh, called Money Myths, and he was wondering if I would be interested in doing one of the Sundays on debt and what God's Word has to say about debt. And in a weak moment, I said, sure. And, and then here it is, and, and I'm regretting that. But, uh, but the thing is, Britt's fine, and he'll be here next week. And so if you're a guest, please come back next week so you can get a better idea of what Sunridge is all about. Um, I know that you won't regret that. We are in a series called Money Myths, and that is a widely held but untrue belief in something about money. And the first Sunday that we started this, Britt talked about how the myth that money can't buy happiness. But because when it's used properly, obviously it can bring happiness. And then last week, he talked about the myth that the worst day fishing is better than our best day at work. And we know that that's not true, that God designed us primarily to work. And so today, I'm going to talk about the myth that it's only 12 easy payments. And we know that, that that's just about debt, right? It's, it's a myth. But before I jump into that, I know most of you don't know me and you're kind of wondering, well, how did I wind up up here? So I'm gonna give you my testimony, which is basically just my story of how I came to know Jesus and, and, and what brought me up here. Um, I grew up in Escondido in middle class home and it was a great family. My parents loved each other, and there was no question in my mind that they loved each other. And they loved me and my sister. I felt that all the time. But what we didn't have was we didn't have God. We, we'd never prayed before meals. We, um, we didn't pray at all. We didn't talk about it. I can remember my grandparents were, were very strong Catholics, and so sometimes on Easter they'd pick me up and they'd take me to Catholic church. And I can do remember a few times to say they never took me to church would be untrue, there was a few times they would drop me off at a church, they'd go do something, and then they'd come and pick me up. So I, I don't know if that counts, but the, the thing is, I kind of knew there was a God, I just didn't know who he was. And then fast forward to, I just got out of high school, and I got my first job, and I was working at a place called Ardan's Catalog Showroom. And I know nobody knows what that is. It was pretty big back in the day. They were sort of like the target of today. And that's where I met Diane. And I'm just telling you, I was smitten. When I saw her, I, I, I just melted because she was beautiful on the outside, but on the inside. She had something that was different. I didn't know what that was, but I knew I wanted it. And I could talk about all the times that we broke up and get into the details of our dating life, but that's really not the point because I probably deserved most of them. The point is, she had the courage to invite me to church. And if you think missionary dating doesn't work, perhaps you're wrong. Because <laughs> I went to church because I wanted to be with her. And when I was there, I heard Pastor Richard Strauss at Emmanuel Faith teach the Word of God. And for the first time in my life, it started to make sense. I thought, oh, 
it's starting to click. And, and, and I heard the gospel, and I thought, well, that kind of makes sense. And most of that was still at an intellectual level. Well, on my 21st birthday, which happened to fall on a Sunday, was one of those periods where Diane and I were broken up. And as I was getting up and getting ready for church, I remember thinking to myself, why am I doing this? This doesn't even make any sense. I was doing this because I wanted to be with Diane. And I got in my car, and I was driving down Center City Parkway, and I had sort of an awkward prayer. I said, Lord, I don't know what this means anymore, but what I do know is I believe that you loved us so much that you sent your son from heaven to earth, that he lived a perfect, sinless life, and that he died on the cross for our sins, and to prove that he was who he said he was, he rose from the dead. And I don't know what this means, Lord, but I want to follow you. I'd like to say that that was like this big, aha, uh-huh, and, and I, I, I was just this perfect Christian, but I wasn't. I had 21 years of living my way, and it was rough. I'm a bit of a, a knucklehead sometimes. And I didn't know what to do next, so I went to Solid Rock Bookshop in Escondido, and I started looking at Bibles. Who knew there were so many different types of Bibles? I didn't. I kept thinking I was going to get the wrong one. And I started reading it every day, and then when Diane and I got back together, she wanted to help me grow and she bought me a devotional book, which I didn't even know those existed. And in there, I started learning how to read the Bible. And one of the things that it asked me to do was to memorize Scripture. And I still remember, I wrote it down, and I put on a little slip of paper, and I put it in my wallet, and whenever I had a free moment, I'd pull it out and I'd read it, and, and I tried to memorize it. And oddly enough, it's a strange verse to be the first verse to memorize, but it was Hebrews 13:5 which says, let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with what you have. For he himself has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And and I love that verse. And I love it even more right now because that is the first verse that I memorized as a Christian. And it's the verse that I'm going to use today to launch our message, which is the myth on debt. Because the myth says that we can have whatever we want, right? That we deserve it. And we can have it for only 12 easy payments. But the truth of the matter is, the payments are never easy. And so that's why I want to share today two important lessons that I have learned from God's Word on debt. So if you're uh, following along on your outline, you have a fill-in-the-blank. And the first fill-in-the-blank is that coveting often leads to credit. And that's right. Coveting often leads to credit. Now, coveting is one of those words that we don't use very often today, right? I don't go out to coffee with my buds and say, hey, coveted lately? And, and so, <laughs> but it's a, it's a churchy word, it's a Christian word, and it simply means to, to lust after something you don't have, to want something that somebody else has. And I'm sure most of us do it and don't realize that's what we're doing. I, I, I bet there's some of us who, who looked at a car and thought, man, if I had that car, then I'd be happy. Or, or maybe it's that house, right? If I could live in that neighborhood or, or have that house, man, then I'm going to be happy. Or, or what if it's just the, the latest iPhone? Oh, I need the latest iPhone to really find happiness. Well, for me, it was golf clubs. I worked at Callaway Golf for a little over 11 years, and I loved irons. And every other year, Callaway would come out with a new set of irons. And so I had the X12 irons. 
And when they came out with the X14s and I saw all the pros were playing them, and they were telling me that because it had this lower center of gravity that I would have the optimal ball flight simply because of the different moment of inertia, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't even care. It's like, I want new clubs. The pros are playing them. Well, here's a little insider secret. It's not the clubs. Those guys are pros. They've got skill and they practice. I didn't do either. So I got the clubs and I wasn't any better. And I wasn't very happy. It did not bring me that happiness that I was looking for. So I just moved on to the next thing. And I love what Dave Ramsey says about coveting. Because he says, we buy things we don't need with what money we don't have to impress people we don't know. And isn't that the truth? And, you know, if we think back, most of us know that there's ten commandments, right? God gave Moses these ten commandments. Commandment ten is thou shalt not covet. In fact, if you look at your outline, that's the next thing. Stop coveting. Um, it sounds easy, right? And that's where the myth comes into play. Because we start coveting, and we think we deserve it, and we want to get it, and we can get it for only 12 easy payments, right? Well, not so fast. Let's take a look at some stat, uh, statistics I got going on up here. So according to a, two, a December 2019 Nerd Wallet article using the current data from the Federal Reserve and U.S. Census Bureau, here is what debt looks like for the average U.S. household. Mortgage debt is $189,586. Auto loans, $27,804. Student loans, $46,822. Now I know a lot of you, and we've, we've had these conversations, I think that number's low. Um, and credit card or revolving debt, that's 6,849. That's average. So it looks to me like a lot of us are buying into that myth that we can have whatever we want. If we can somehow scrape up and down and make those monthlies, then we're gonna be just fine, right? We're gonna suddenly be content. We're gonna be happy. And, but we're not. So when I started, I kind of gave you my testimony. That is my story of how I came to know Jesus. And right now, I'm going to be a little vulnerable, and I'm going to give you my debt-timony. This is how I came to know debt. Um, 14 years ago, I was working at Callaway Golf, like I mentioned, and I'd worked there for 11-plus years. And they gave me so many great opportunities for growth. I was on the upward path. I was moving up. I was making more money, and I had a young family, and things were going great. And I made a lot of decisions based on that upward trajectory, decisions that in hindsight I made without a lot of experience and without a lot, and a lot of knowledge. And so that led to me getting into some debt. So raise your hand if you've ever heard of a HELOC. Yeah, uh-huh. So for those of you who don't know what a HELOC is, it's called a home equity line of credit. And what that basically means is when you buy a house, you buy it at a, a price. And then over time, it appreciates. It becomes worth more in value. And that difference is equity. And banks are super excited to let you get a loan for that equity. And people get loans for 25, 50, 75, whatever, $1,000. And they entice you with these really small monthly payments. What they don't tell you is most of the time, those are interest-only payments. So if you've been paying on that for 20 years, you still owe that original home equity line of credit. And people throughout this valley and probably throughout America were taking out home equity line of credits and updating their house and doing all kinds of amazing things. I was one of them. I have a pool, um, thanks to my HELOC. I bought a new car because I needed to trans, uh, go back and forth to work in Carlsbad. 
Not only that, but I felt like I deserved things. So we would go on trips as a family to Disneyland, and even if I couldn't afford it. I remember coming home some nights, and I wanted to go out to dinner. I wanted pizza. And my wife would say, I don't think we have the money. I thought, I deserve pizza. I've been working hard. Charge it. And so we did. And so this is what sort of started happening, is we, we, we were getting more and more debt because I kept thinking, well, it's only 12 easy payments. As long as I'm making these payments, we're doing just fine. Well, that was fine while I was working at Callaway, and my trajectory was like that. I, I never missed a payment. We didn't get in any sort of trouble. But I felt a calling to come work at Sunridge, and suddenly this wasn't happening. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I love this. This, this. this church has been so amazing. It's been a blessing to work here, and I'm so glad I get to do it. But it, it, it was different. And so what seemed doable what seemed comfortable was starting to make me nervous. It was starting to make me anxious. I, I would think to myself, if I was running the church the way I was running my personal finances, I'm not sure we would have made it through some of those really tough times. And, and what made it even more uncomfortable, I guess, for me was that people were coming to me wanting financial counseling, and I was giving it to them, so I knew the basics of how to get them out of trouble, but I just wasn't doing it for Bob Inc., it was failing. Let me, I brought some uh, props, because I want to show you what this really looks like. Okay. Let's pretend that this bag is my monthly income, all right? And I'm going to start filling it with things. Now, first, we're going to start with the things that everyone needs, right? We need utilities. It's been cold. We want to have heat, so we need gas and electricity. And that fits nicely in my monthly income. I don't know about you, but I get hungry. So we're going to buy groceries because we want to eat. So that, that fits pretty nicely in there. And then, whoa. we promised not to talk about this. So I'll give you long enough to look at it. That's going, into the, that's going in there as well, right? So that's part of my monthly stuff. Now, here's where it gets fun. Whether you have rent or whether you have mortgage, that's going to go in here. So we bought a house for only 12 easy payments, for 30 years, <laughs> right? So this is going in here. Watch that, that totally fits. Remember we talked about this? Notice how it's almost the same size? <laughs> That's embarrassing. So this is going in here too, because it's 12 easy payments for who knows how long, right? Then the refrigerator went out. Now, we could have got it repaired, that would have been cheaper, but I wanted one that had an ice maker and that where I could put my cup in it and get nice ice-cold filtered water because it was only 12 easy payments, so we put that in there. And then all those uh, pizzas and going out to dinner and dental work and all that stuff, just put it on the visa because it's only 12 easy payments. Now, I also have a family and we wanted clothes, might as well charge that at Kohl's because it's only 12 easy payments. And we put that in there, right? Come on, who hasn't done a target run and done? <laughs> because when we want it, we can charge it because it's only? Thank you. You guys are great. So this is what it looks like. This is the month. Now, by most standards, you'd say, well, he's making it. I didn't miss a payment. It all fit in the bag but it was starting to feel stressful. 
it was starting to feel like I couldn't manage it anymore. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. You know, and I know a lot of you, your, your situations have changed. Some of you, there was downsizing. Some of you have started your own business and it's not taken off yet. So things will happen where what you thought was doable is suddenly not. So what happened? What changed for me? Well, about seven years ago, uh, a, a wonderful couple named Dick and Linda Kay came to Sunridge. They had been at Saddleback, and Saddleback was doing something called Financial Peace University. Now, for me, because the whole idea of having to counsel people on their finances, it seemed easy to just say, well, let's just go to this class. That'll be better than what I can do. And it seemed like that's less work, right? I was all about that. And then I found out that maybe I should take it because I want to know what I'm asking you guys to do. So Diane and I went to FPU. And I'm just telling you, in those nine weeks, we learned the seven baby steps. And for the first time in my life, I had an emergency fund. And that was freeing. In fact, so much so that it, it gave us the courage to cut up our credit cards and never use them again. But then, I still had all of this, right? So I learned how to budget using a zero-based budget. And then we used the debt snowball. Well, the debt snowball says, keep making your minimum on everything, but find that lowest one and just attack it with every extra bit of money you have. And then when you pay that one off, you get to go to the next lowest one. But now, it's not just the minimum, it's the minimum plus what you were paying on that. So then we paid that one off. And then I was super excited when we got this one done, right? And after way too long, we finally owned our refrigerator. <laughs> and then last December, seven years later, you see this one? It's done. We completely paid off most of our non-mortgage debt, actually all of our non-mortgage debt. And do you see what that created? Proverbs 22.7 says, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes slave to the lender. That felt like a, a burden that I had to carry. I was, I was a slave to my debt, and I didn't even realize it. And, and this, do you see what this does? Look at that. To me, this is freedom. This, this says, if I see somebody hurting, I can be generous because I have bandwidth to do that. This says that now that my in-laws are struggling financially because they have all kinds of medical issues no one saw coming, we can be the ones that help. This says, if this bag got smaller, right, I'm okay. This is going to work. What I'm trying to tell you is there's hope. And I know Heather mentioned it during InTouch, but next Sunday, FPU starts at Sunridge. It's nine weeks, although we're going to go ten because we were smart enough to recognize that um, the Super Bowl is on a Sunday and we're not even going to try to compete with that, so we're going to skip that Sunday. <laughs> but it's coming. And it will change your life. If you, here's the thing. Going to the class isn't going to make your bag change, right? You have to do the hard work. So was it hard? Yeah, it was really hard. I, I can remember times my girls were turning 16. I, they didn't each get a car. Eventually, we bought one used car that they could share. Our idea of vacation was we went camping every other year. If people invited us to dinner, which really isn't that often, but when they do... <laughs> We would have to adjust something else on the budget so that we could go out with them because we were committed to making this change. And the, the, was it worth it? Yeah. I mean, look at this. This is so cool. So I want to tell you, FPU is not just a class 
that's about cutting up credit cards or working out a budget. It's a class that teaches married couples how to get along so that they can do their budget because most fights are about money. FPU talks about insurance and how you can get the right kind of insurance to make sure that you have it. And it talks about uh, retirement and, and to make sure that you can retire someday. I know I want to. So I, I'm just going to say one last time, sign up. And for the deaf community, this is the first time Sunridge is going to be able to offer FPU to the deaf community. We're going to have the closed captioning on the screen, and we're going to be able to have um, a, a signer for the small group. So we're super excited about that. We just want as many people as possible to be able to come. I know it sounded like I get paid uh, by Dave Ramsey, but I don't. But I just wanted to share that with you. Because the truth is there's hope. And I want you guys to know that there is hope. So how do we get that hope? Well, if you have a fill-in-the-blank, the next fill-in-the-blank is that contentment is the cure. And I know that sounds almost too simple, but let me, let me, let me explain it like this. When I first read that verse, Hebrews 13, 5, I was a brand-new Christian, and I was under the impression that those letters were written to me. And so when I saw, be content with what you have, I thought, I have to be content with my old pickup truck. I need to be content with this job that I hate. I need to be content with this mill that wasn't very good to eat at all. And that's not the truth. I think by not understanding that these letters were written for me, not to me, changes everything because there's power in this verse that says contentment is the cure. Context matters. So I'm going to give you guys just a little bit of context of the Hebrews 13.5 verse. Uh, the letter of Hebrews, which again, most people, if, you, if you're Christians, you get it, but uh, the Hebrews are Jews. And so this letter was written to Jewish believers, right? And it was written early on. So it was written between 64 and 68 AD. And it was written to Jewish Christians. Um, what we also know is they had been Christians for a little while. In Hebrews 5.12, the writer scolds the readers by saying, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Ouch. I mean, <laughs> I'm glad that was written forever. Um, they had been Christians long enough to know better. They, they were Jewish believers, so they knew the Ten Commandments, and they knew the, the commandment to not covet. And also, it wasn't easy being a Christian back then. It wasn't like it is now. There was no advantage. It was often a disadvantage. So what would happen is you might lose your family. You might lose your ability to go to the synagogue and worship. You might lose your house. And we get a little bit of a glimpse of that in Hebrews 10.34. Uh, the writer says, You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So they lost their property, and they were okay with that. So what happened? What happened between then and... and chapter 13, when they needed to be reminded to be content. I think it happens to me, and maybe it happens to you too. You, you forget what you're content with. You keep thinking that the things that you covet, these things that we don't have, that we can make 12 easy payments for, are going to make us happy. What did they have that made them so content? They had Jesus. Jesus was the source of their contentment. In Philippians 4.11, Paul instructs us, about contentment. He wrote, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I think I missed the word in when I sent that to Megan, sorry. Um, but whatever circumstances they're in, 
Paul was able to be content. And let me just remind you, Paul suffered temporary blindness. He suffered a lack of missionary support from many of the people who were supposedly helping him. He was constantly being threatened with death, and then he was imprisoned. And yet he found his contentment. So it wasn't in his stuff. He found his contentment in Jesus. I just think that amassing more and more stuff is not going to help us to find that contentment. Whether it's stuff, sometimes it's, a, it's an experience. We're always looking and, and searching after that one more thing that's going to make us happy, and it's not because it's Jesus that's going to make us happy. So that last little fill in the blank, be content. It seems simple, but be content. You know, uh, the Apostle Paul, who I just talked about, he wrote a letter to his protege, Timothy, and he says, for we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you men of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. I don't know about you, but I'm really tired of being pierced by the many griefs of debt. And I don't want us falling for that anymore because it's just not true. There's no such thing as 12 easy payments. And if I can, just a quick little rant, sorry about this, at the risk of having every millennial in here saying, okay, boomer, the whole idea of services is starting to get to me as well. And by services, I mean Netflix, Disney Plus, um, even Microsoft's in on it with Office 365. Those are 12 easy payments in perpetuity. Those never stop. So just be careful because those start to add up. You don't need those. Those are not the things that are going to bring you content. It's going to be Jesus. It's going to be Jesus and nothing else. At this point, I would like to ask the band to come up because I'm going to wrap this up. And I want to tell you, you know, I have the privilege every month of being able to write a blog post for our website, and I call it the Bobservations. And I sort of alternate. One month I'll talk about what's going on at the church and how we're doing on some things, and then another time I'll write about um, personal finances and how to get out of debt or insurance, whatever it is. But whenever I have one of those messages that talks about debt, I know that it, it, it can bring guilt on people, right? You feel a heavy burden, like I'm in debt, I, God doesn't love me. And, and that's so far from the truth. This is not a salvation issue that I'm talking about today, right? God loves you just the way you are. He's not going to leave you that way, but he does love you just the way you are. He wants what's best for you. So when I write those blog posts at the end, I almost always put on there, it's by uh, uh, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, because that is how it happens. Now, the very last part of that verse in Hebrews 13, 5 there's this promise that God will never leave us or forsake us. And I can just tell you, as a new believer, I clung to that. That just meant so much to me. And right now, we're getting ready. We're going to transition into communion. And I think that's a really tangible way, a reminder of God's great love for us. Um, basically, communion is a time where we pause and remember what Jesus did, that, that he came to this earth, that he died for our sins, and then he rose from the dead. And we have some really basic elements. What Jesus did was he gathered some of his closest friends and he told them what was gonna happen. He said, 
this bread, this represents my body, and it's going to be broken for you. And that this juice, this, this wine, this is my blood that's going to be shed for you. Do this to remember me. And, and that's what we're going to do right now. So I'm going to tell you the practical aspects of communion for Sunridge today. Um, we have eight tables throughout the worship center, and on it is the, the, the bread, the little wafers, and the juice, which is the wine. So as the band's playing and you feel led, if you would just make your way to one of those tables and, and take the bread and dip it into the wine, and you'll see some people gather and pray. Um, however you choose to do that is great. Just when you're done, come back and sit down and we'll wrap up the service. So I'm going to pray and we're going to have communion.